What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mountain Man by Robert Howard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mountain Man by Robert Howard. I was robbing a bee tree when I heard my old man calling, Breckenridge, oh Breckenridge, where air you? I see you now. You don't need to climb that tree. I ain't gonna larrup you. He come up and said, Breckenridge, ain't that a bee settin' on your ear? I reached up and sure enough it was. Come to think about it, I had felt kind of like something was stinging me somewhere. I swar, Breckenridge, said Pap. I never seen a hide like yourn. Now listen to me. Old Buffalo Rogers is back from Tomahawk, and the postmaster there said they was a letter for me from Mississippi. He wouldn't give it to nobody but me or some of my folks. I don't know who'd be writing me from Mississippi. Last time I was there was when I was fighting the Yankees. But anyway, that letter is got to be got. Me and your ma has decided you're to go get it. You hear me, Breckenridge? Clean the tomahawk, I said. Gee whiz, Pap. Well, he said, combing his beard with his fingers, you're growed in size, if not in years. It's time you've seen something of the world. You ain't never been more than thirty miles away from the cabin you was born in. Your brother John ain't able to go on account of that bar he tangled with, and Bill is busy skinning the bar. You been to where the trail passes, going to Tomahawk? All you gotta do is foller it, and turn to the right where it forks. The left goes on the perdition. Well, I was all eager to see the world, and the next morning I was off, dressed in new buckskins and riding my mule Alexander. Pap rode with me a few miles and give me advice. Be careful how you spend that dollar I give you, he said. Don't gamble. Drink in reason. Half a gallon of corn juice is enough for any man. Don't be tetchy, but don't forget that your pap was once the rough and tumble champeen of Gonzales County, Texas. And whilst you're feeling for the other fellow's eye, don't be careless and let him chaw your ear off. And don't resist no officer. What's them, Pap? I inquired. Down in the settlements, he explained, they has men which their job is to keep the peace. I don't take no stock in law myself, but them city folks is different from us. You do what they says, and if they says give up your gun, 
Why, you up and do it. I was shocked. I meditated a while and then says, How can I tell which is them? They'll have a silver star on their shirt, he says. So I said I'd do like he told me. He reined around and went back up the mountain, and I rode on down the path. Well, I camped that night where the path come out onto the main trail, and the next morning I rode on down the trail feeling like I was a long way from home. I hadn't went far till I passed a stream and decided I'd take a bath. So I tied Alexander to a tree and hung my buckskins nearby, but I took my gun belt with my old cap and ball forty-four and hung it on a limb reaching out over the water. There was thick bushes all around the hole. Well, I dived deep, and as I come up, I had a feeling like somebody'd hit me over the head with a club. I looked up, and there was a fella holding on to a limb with one hand and leaning out over the water with a club in the other hand. He yelled and swung at me again, but I div, and he missed, and I come up right under the limb where my gun was hung. I reached up, grabbed it, and let Bam at him just as he dived into the bushes, and he let out a squall and grabbed the seat of his pants. The next minute I heard a horse running and glimpsed him tearing away through the brush on a pinto mustang, setting his horse like it was a red-hot stove. And, dern him, he had my clothes in one hand. I was so upsot by this that I missed him clean, and jumping out, I charged through the bushes and saplings, but he was already out of sight. I knowed it was one of them dern renegades which hid up in the hills and snuck down the steel, and I wasn't afraid none, but what a fix I was in. He'd even stole my moccasins. I couldn't go home in that shape without the letter and admit I'd missed a robber twice. Papa'd larp the tar out of me. And if I went on, what if I met some women in the valley settlements? I don't reckon they was ever a youngster half as bashful as what I was in them days. Cold sweat bust out all over me. At last, in desperation, I buckled my belt on and started down the trail toward Tomahawk. I was desperate enough to commit murder to get me some pants. I was glad the Indian didn't steal Alexander, but the going was so rough I had to walk and lead him, cause I kept to the brush alongside the trail. He had a tough time getting through the bushes, and the thorns scratched him so he hollered and ever now and then I had to lift him over jagged rocks. It was tough on Alexander, but I was too bashful to travel in the open trail with no clothes on. After I'd gone maybe a mile, I heard someone in the trail ahead of me, and peeking through the bushes I seen a most peculiar sight. It was a man on foot, going the same direction as me, and he had on what I instinctively guessed was city clothes. They wasn't buckskin and was very beautiful with big checks and stripes all over them. He had on a round hat with a narrow brim and shoes like I hadn't never seen before, being neither boots or moccasins. He was dusty and he cussed as he limped along. 
ahead of him I seen the trail made a horseshoe bend, so I cut straight across and got ahead of him, and as he come along I stepped out of the bush and threw down on him with my cap and ball. He throwed up his hands and hollered, Don't shoot! I don't want to, mister, I said, but I got to have clothes. He shook his head like he couldn't believe I was so, and he said, You ain't the color of a injun, but what kind of people live in these hills anyway? Most of them's Democrats, I said, but I got no time to talk politics. You climb out of them clothes. My God, he wailed. My horse threw me off and run away. I've been walking for hours, expecting to get scalped by engines any minute, and now a naked lunatic on a mule demands my clothes. It's too much. I can't argue, mister, I said. Somebody may come up the trail any minute. Hustle. So saying, I shot his hat off to encourage him. He gave a howl and shucked his duds in a hurry. My underclothes, too, he demanded, shivering, though it was very hot. Is that what them things is, I demanded, shocked. I never heard of a man wearing such womanish things. The country's going to the dogs, just like Pap says. You better get going. Take my mule. When I get to where I can get some regular clothes, we'll swap back. He clumb up on Alexander kind of dubious and said to me, despairful, Will you tell me one thing? How do I get the tomahawk? Take the next turn to the right, I said. And just then, Alexander turned his head and seen them underclothes on his back, and he gave a loud and ringing bray and sought sail down the trail at full speed with a stranger hanging on with both hands. Before they was out of sight, they come to where the trail forked, and Alexander took the left instead of the right and vanished amongst the ridges. I put on the clothes, and they scratched my hide something fierce. I hadn't never worn nothing but buckskin. The coat split down the back, and the pants was too short, but the shoes was the worst. They pinched all over. I throwed away the socks, having never worn none, but put on what was left of the hat. I went on down the trail and took the right-hand fork, and in a mile or so I come out on a flat and heard horses running. The next thing, a mob of horsemen bust into view. One of them yelled, There he is! And they all come for me, full tilt. Instantly. I decided that the stranger had got to Tomahawk after all, and set a posse onto me for stealing his clothes. So I left the trail, and took out across the sage grass, and they all charged after me, yelling for me to stop, while well, then dern shoes pinched my feet so bad I couldn't hardly run. So after I'd run five or six hundred yards, I perceived the horses were beginning to gain on me. So I wheeled with my cap and ball in my hand, but I was going so fast when I turned, them dern shoes slipped, and I went over backwards into some cactus just as I pulled the trigger. So I only knocked the hat off the first horseman. He yelled and pulled up his horse right over me nearly, 
and as I drawed another bead on him, I seen he had a bright, shiny star on his shirt. I dropped my gun and stuck up my hands. They swarmed round me, cowboys from their looks. The man with the star dismounted and picked up my gun and cussed. What did you lead us this chase through this heat and shoot at me for, he demanded. I didn't know you was an officer, I said. Hell, McVeigh, said one of them. You know how jumpy Tenderfeet is. Likely he thought we was Santry's outlaws. Where's your horse? I ain't got none, I said. Got away from you, Hanf, said McVeigh. Well, climb up behind Kirby here. Let's get going. To my astonishment, the sheriff stuck my gun back in the scabbard, and I clumb up behind Kirby, and away we went. Kirby kept telling me not to fall off, and it made me mad. But I said nothing. After an hour or so, we come to a bunch of houses they said was Tomahawk. I got panicky when I saw all them houses, and would have jumped down and run for the mountains, only I knowed they'd catch me with them dern pinchy shoes on. I hadn't never seen such houses before. They was made out of boards, mostly, and some was two stories high. To the northwest and west, the hills riz up a few hundred yards from the back of the houses, and on the other sides there was plains with brush and timber on them. You boys ride into town and tell the folks that the shebang starts soon, said McVeigh. Me and Kirby and Richards will take him to the ring. I could see people milling around in the streets, and I never had no idea there was that many folks in the world. The sheriff and the other two fellows rode round the north end of the town and stopped at an old barn and told me to get off. So I did. We went in, and they had a kind of room fixed up in there with benches and a lot of towels and water buckets. The sheriff said, this ain't much of a dressing room, but it'll have to do. Us boys don't know much about this game, but we'll second, good as we can. One thing, the other fella ain't got no manager or seconds neither. How do you feel? Fine, I said, but I'm kind of hungry. Go get him something, Richards, said the sheriff. I didn't think they ate just before about, said Richards. Oh, I reckon he knows what he's doing, said McVeigh. Go on. So Richards left and the sheriff and Kirby walked round me like I was a prize bull and felt my muscles, and the sheriff said, By golly, if size means anything, our dough is as good as in our breeches right now. My dollar was in my belt. I said I would pay for my keep, and they haw-hawed and slapped me on the back and said I was a great joker. Then Richards came back with a platter of grub with a lot of men wearing boots and guns and they stomped in and gawped at me. McVeigh said, Look him over, boys. Tomahawk stands or falls with him today. They started walking around me like him and Kirby done, and I was embarrassed and ate three or four pounds of beef and a quart of mashed potatoes and a big hunk of white bread and drunk about a gallon of water because I was pretty thirsty. Then they all gaped at me like they were surprised about something, and one of them said, how come he didn't arrive on the stagecoach yesterday? Well, said the sheriff, the driver told me he was so drunk they left him at Bisney and came on with his luggage, which is over there in the corner. They got a horse and left it there with instructions for him to ride to Tomahawk as soon as he sobered up. Me and the boys got nervous today when he didn't show up, so we went out looking for him and met him hoofing it down the trail. 
I bet them perdition hombres start something, said Kirby. Ain't one of em showed up yet. They're settin' over at perdition, soaking up bad liquor and broodin' on their wrongs. They sure wanted this show staged over there. They claim that since Tomahawk was furnishing one half of the attraction and Gunstock the other, the Razzie ought to be throwed at partition. Nothing to it, said McVeigh. It laid between Tomahawk and Gunstock, and we throwed a coin and won. If perdition wants trouble, she can get it. Is the boys raring to go? Is they, said Richards. Every bar in Tomahawk is crowded with hombres full of liquor and civic pride. They're betting their shirts, and they's been nine fights already. Everybody in Gunstock's here. Well, let's get going, said McVeigh, getting nervous. The quicker it's over, the less blood there's likely to be spilt. The first thing I knowed, they'd laid hold of me and was pulling my clothes off. So it dawned on me that I must be under arrest for stealing the stranger's clothes. Kirby dug into the baggage, which was in one corner of the stall, and dragged out a funny-looking pair of pants. I know now they was white silk. I put em on, cause I hadn't nothing else to put on, and they fit me like my skin. Richards tied an American flag around my waist, and they put some spiked shoes on my feet. I let em do like they wanted to, remembering what Pap said about not resisting an officer. Whilst so employed, I began to hear a noise outside, like a lot of people, whooping and cheering. Pretty soon in came a skinny old gink with whiskers and two guns on, and he hollered, Listen, Mac, darn it, a big shipment of gold is down there waiting to be took off by the evening stage, and the whole blamed town is deserted on account of this foolishness. Suppose Comanche Sentry and his gang gets wind of it. Well, said McVeigh, I'll send Kirby here to help you guard it. You will like hell, said Kirby. I'll resign as deputy first. I got every cent of my dough on this scrap, and I aim to see it. I'll send somebody, said the old codger. I got enough to do running my store and the stage stand and the post office without... He left, mumbling in his whiskers, and I said, Who's that? Aw, said Kirby, that's old man Braxton that runs that store down at the other end of town on the east side of the street. The post office is in there, too. I got to see him, I said. There's a letter. Just then another man came surging in and hollered. Hey, is your man ready? Everybody's getting impatient. All right, said McVeigh, throwing over me a thing he called a bathrobe. Him and Kirby and Richards picked up towels and buckets, and we went out the opposite door from what we come in, and there was a big crowd of people there and they whooped and shot off their pistols. I would have bolted back into the barn, only they grabbed me and said it was all right. We went through the crowd, and I'd never seen so many boots and pistols in my life, and we come to a square pen made out of four posts set in the ground and ropes stretched between. They called this a ring and told me to get in. I'd done so, and they had turf packed down so the ground was level as a floor, and hard and solid. They told me to sit down on a stool in one corner, and I did, and wrapped my robe round me like an engine. Then everybody yelled, and some men, from Gunstock, they said, clumb through the ropes on the other side. One of them was dressed like I was, and I'd never seen such a human. His ears looked like cabbages. 
His nose was flat, and his head was shaved. He sat down in an opposite corner. Then a fellow got up and waved his arms and hollered, Gents, you all know the occasion of this here suspicious event. Mr. Bat O'Toole, happening to pass through Gunstock, consented to fight anybody that would meet him. Tomahawk allowed to furnish that opposition by sending all the way to Denver to procure the services of Mr. Bruiser McGurty, formerly of San Francisco. He pointed at me. Everybody cheered, shot off their pistols, and I was embarrassed and bust out in a cold sweat. This fight, said the fellow, will be according to London prize ring rules, same as in a championship go. Bare fist, round ends when one of them's knocked down or throwed down. Fight lasts till one or t'other ain't able to come up to the scratch at the call of time. I, Yucca Blaine, have been selected referee because, being from Chaudier, I got no prejudices either way. Are you all ready? Time. McVeigh hauled me off my stool and pulled off my bathrobe and pushed me out into the ring. I nearly died with embarrassment, but I seen the fellow they called O'Toole didn't have on no more clothes than me. He approached and held out his hand, so I held out mine. We shook hands, and then without no warning he hit me an awful lick on the jaw with his left. It was like being kicked by a mule. The first part of me which hit the turf was the back of my head. O'Toole stalked back to his corner, and the gunstock boys was dancing and hugging each other, and the tomahawk fellows was growling in their whiskers and fumbling for guns and bowie knives. McVeigh and his men rushed into the ring before I could get up and dragged me to my corner and began pouring water on me. Are ya hurt much? yelled McVeigh. How can a man's fist hurt anybody? I asked. I wouldn't have fell down, only it was so unexpected. I didn't know he was going to hit me. I never played no game like this before. McVeigh dropped the towel he was beating me in the face with and turned pale. Ain't you Bruiser McGurty of San Francisco? he hollered. Nah, I said. I'm Breckenridge Elkins from up in the Humboldt Mountains. I come here to get a letter for Pap. But the stage driver described them clothes, he began wildly. A feller stole my clothes, I explained. So I took some off in a stranger. Maybe he was Mr. McGurdy. What's the matter, asked Kirby, coming up with another bucket of water. Time's about ready to be called. We're sunk, bawled McVeigh. This ain't McGurdy. This is a turned hillbilly which murdered McGurdy and stole his clothes. We're ruined, exclaimed Richards, aghast. Everybody's bet their dough without even seeing our man. They was that full of trust and civic pride. We can't call it off now. Tomahawk is ruined. What'll we do? He's going to get in there and fight his derndest, said McVeigh, pulling his gun and jamming it into my back. We'll hang him after the fight. But he can't box, wailed Richards. No matter, said McVeigh. The fair name of our town is at stake. Tomahawk promised to furnish a fighter to fight this fellow O'Toole, and, oh, I said, suddenly seeing light, this here's a fight, ain't it? McVeigh gave a low moan, and Kirby reached for his gun, but just then the referee hollered time, and I jumped up and ran at O'Toole. 
If a fight was all they wanted, I was satisfied. All that talk about rules and the yelling of the crowd had had me so confused I didn't know what it's all about. I hit at old Tool, and he ducked and hit me in the belly and on the nose and in the eye and on the ear. The blood spurted, and the crowd yelled, and he looked dumbfounded and gritted between his teeth. Are you human? Why don't you fall? I spit out a mouthful of blood and got my hands on him and started chewing his ear, and he squalled like a catamount. Yucca run in and tried to pull me loose, and I gave him a slap under the ear, and he turned a somersault into the ropes. Your man's fightin' foul, he squalled, and Kirby yelled, You're crazy. You see this gun? You holler foul once more, and it'll go off. Meanwhile, O'Toole had broke loose from me and caved in his knuckles on my jaw, and I come for him again, because I was mad by this time. He gasped, If you want to make an alley fight out of it, all right. I wasn't raised in five points for nothing. He then rammed his knee into my groan and groped for my eye, but I got his thumb in my teeth and began masticating it, and the way he howled was a caution. By this time the crowd was crazy, and I throwed O'Toole and began to stomp him when somebody let bang at me from the crowd, and the bullet cut my silk belt and my pants started to fall down. I grabbed him with both hands, and O'Toole riz and rushed at me, bloody and bellering. I didn't dare let go of my pants to defend myself, so I whirled and bent over and lashed out backwards with my right heel like a mule, and I caught him under the chin. He'd done a cartwheel in the air, his head hit the turf, and he bounced on over and landed on his back with his knees hooked over the lower rope. There wasn't no question about him being out. The only question was, was he dead? A great roar of foul went up from the gunstock men, and guns bristled all around the ring. The tomahawk men was cheering and yelling that I'd won fair and square, and the gunstock men was cussing and threatening me when someone hollered, Leave it to the referee. Sure, said Kirby. He knows our man won fair, and if he don't say so, I'll blow his head off. That's a lie, bellered a man from Gunstock. He knows it was foul, and if he says it wasn't, I'll carve his liver with this here bowie knife. At these words, Yucca keeled over in a dead faint. Then a clatter of hooves sounded above the din, and out of the timber that hid the trail from the east, a gang of horsemen rode at a run. Everyone whirled and yelled, Look out! Here comes them perdition illegitimates! Instantly a hundred guns covered them, and McVeigh demanded, Come ye in peace or in war? We come to unmask a fraud, roared a big man with a red bandana around his neck. Now, Gertie, come forth. A familiar figure, now dressed in cowboy togs, pushed forward on my mule. There he is, the figure yelled, pointing at me. That's the desperado which robbed me. Them's my tights he's got on. What's this, roared the crowd. A turn fake, bellered the man with the red bandanner. This here is Bruiser McGurdy. Then who's he, someone bawled, pointing at me. My name's Breckenridge Elkins, and I can lick any man here, I roared, getting mad. I brandished my fists in defiance, but my breeches started sliding down again, so I had to shut up and grab them. Aha! The man with the red bandanner howled like a hyena. He admits it. I don't know what the idea is, but these tomahawk polecats has double-crossed somebody. 
I trust that you jackasses from Gunstock realizes the blackness and hellishness of their hearts. This man McGurdy rode into perdition a few hours ago in his unmentionables, a straddle of that there mule, and told us how he'd been held up and robbed and put on the wrong road. You skunks was too proud to stage this fight in perdition, but we ain't the men to see justice scorned with impunity. We brought McGurdy here to show you you was being gypped by Tomahawk. That man ain't no prize fighter. He's a highway robber. These Tomahawk coyotes has framed us, squalled a gunstock man going for his gun. You're a liar, roared Richards, bending a forty-five barrel over his head. The next instant, guns was crashing, knives was gleaming, and men was yelling blue murder. The gunstock braves turned frothing on the tomahawk warriors, and the men from perdition, yelping with glee, pulled their guns and began fanning the crowd indiscriminately, which gave back their fire. McGurdy gave a howl and fell down on Alexander's neck, gripping around it with both arms, and Alexander departed in a cloud of dust and smoke. I grabbed my gun belt, which McVeigh had hung over the post in my corner, and I headed for cover, holding on to my breeches whilst the bullets hummed round me thick as bees. I wanted to take to the brush, but I remembered that blamed letter, so I headed for town. Behind me there rose a roar of banging guns and yelling men. Just as I got to the backs of the rows of buildings which lined the street, I run into something soft head-on. It was McGurdy, trying to escape on Alexander. He had hold of only one rein, and Alexander, evidently having circled one end of the town, was traveling in a circle and heading back where he started from. I was going so fast I couldn't stop, but I run right over Alexander, and all three of us went down in a heap. I jumped up, afraid Alexander was killed, but he scrambled up, snorting and trembling. And then McGurdy weaved up, making funny noises. I poked my cap and ball into his belly. Off with them pants, I yelped. My God, he screamed, again? This is getting to be a habit. Hustle, I bellered. You can have these scandals I got on now. He shucked his breeches, grabbed them tights, and run like he was afeard I'd want his underwear, too. I jerked on the pants, forked Alexander, and headed for the south end of town. I kept behind the buildings, though the town seemed to be deserted, and pretty soon I come to the store where Kirby had told me old man Braxton kept the post office. Guns was barking there, and across the street I seen men ducking in and out behind an old shack and shooting. I tied Alexander to a corner of the store and went in the back door. Up in the front part I seen old man Braxton kneeling behind some barrels with a forty-five ninety, and he was shooting at the fellows in the shack across the street. Every now and then a slug would hum through the door and comb his whiskers, and he would cuss worse than Pap did that time he sat down on a bear trap. I went up to him and tapped him on the shoulder, and he gave a squall and flopped over and let go, bam, right in my face, and singed off my eyebrows. And the fellows across the street hollered and started shooting at both of us. I'd grabbed the barrel of his Winchester, and he was cussing and jerking at it with one hand and feeling in his boot for a knife with the other. I said, Mr. Braxton, if you ain't too busy, I wish you'd give me that there letter which come for Pap. 
Don't never come up behind me that way again, he squalled. I thought you was one of them dern outlaws. Look out! Duck, you fool! I let go of his gun, then he took a shot at a head which was aiming around the shack, and the head let out a squall and disappeared. Who are them fellows? I asked. Comanche Santry and his bunch from up in the hill, snarled old man Braxton, jerking the lever of his Winchester. They come after that gold. A hell of a sheriff McVeigh is. Never sent me nobody. And them fools over at the ring are making so much noise, they'll never hear the shooting over here. Look out, here they come. Six or seven men rushed out from behind the shack and run across the street shooting as they come. I seen I'd never get my letter as long as all this fighting was going on, so I unslung my old cap and ball and let Bam at em three times. Three of the outlaws fell across each other in the street, and the rest turned and run behind the shack. Good work, boy, yelled old man Braxton. If I ever... Oh, Judas Iscariot, we're blowed up now. Something was pushed around the corner of the shack and come rolling down toward us the shack being on higher ground than the store was. It was a keg with a burning fuse which whirled as the keg revolved and looked like a wheel of fire. What's in that keg? I asked. Blastin' powder, screamed old man Braxton, scrambling up. Run, you turn fool, it's coming right into the door. He was so scared he forgot all about the fellows across the street, and one of them caught him in the thigh with a buffalo rifle. He plunked down again, howling blue murder. I stepped over him to the door. That's when I got the slug in my hip, and the keg hit my legs and stopped. So I picked it up and heaved it back across the street. It hadn't no more than hit the shack when, bam, it exploded, and the shack went up in smoke. When it stopped raining pieces of wood and metal, they wasn't any sign to show any outlaws had ever hid behind where that shack had been. I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't saw it, old man Braxton moaned faintly. Are you hurt bad, Mr. Braxton, I asked. I'm dying, he groaned. Plum dying. Well, before you die, Mr. Braxton, I said, would you mind giving me that there letter for Pap? What's your Pap's name, he asked. Roaring Bill Elkins, I said. He wasn't hurt as bad as he thought. He reached up, got hold of a leather bag, and fumbled in it pulled out an envelope. I remember telling old Buffalo Rogers I had a letter for Bill Elkins, he said, fingering it over. Then he said, Hey, wait, this ain't for your pap. My sight's getting bad. I read it wrong the first time. This is for Bill Elston that lives between here and perdition. Now, I want to spike a rumor, which says I tried to murder old man Braxton and tore his door down for spite. I've done told how he got his leg broke and the rest was accidental. When I realized that I had went through all that embarrassment for nothing, I got so mad and disgusted, I turned and ran out of the back door, and I forgot to open the door, and that's how it got tore off the hinges. I then jumped on to Alexander and forgot to untie him from the store. I kicked him in the ribs, and he bolted and tore loose that corner of the building, and that's how come the roof to fall in. Old man Braxton inside was scared and started yelling bloody murder, and about that time a lot of men come up to investigate the explosion which had stopped the three-cornered paddle between Perdition, Tomahawk, and Gunstock, and they thought I was the cause of everything, and they all started shooting at me as I rode off. 
Then was when I got that charge of buckshot in my back. I went out a tomahawk and up the hill trail so fast I bet me and Alexander looked like a streak, and I says to myself, the next time Pap gets a letter at the post office, he can come after it hisself, cause it's evident that civilization ain't no place for a boy which ain't reached his full growth and strength. End of Mountain Man Guns of the Mountains by Robert Howard This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Guns of the Mountains by Robert Howard This business begun with Uncle Garfield Elkins coming up from Texas to visit us, between Grizzly Run and Chawed Ear, the stage got held up by some masked bandits, and Uncle Garfield, never being able to forget that he was a gun-fighting fool thirty or forty years ago, pulled his old cap and ball instead of putting up his hands like he was advised to. For some reason, instead of blowing out his light, they merely busted him over the head with a forty-five barrel, and when he come to... He was rattling on his way toward Chaudier with the other passengers, minus his money and watch. It was his watch what caused the trouble. That there timepiece had been his grandpap's, and Uncle Garfield sought more store by it than he did all his kinfolks. When he arrived up in the Humboldt Mountains where our cabin was, he immediately let into howling his woes to the stars like a wolf with a bellyache. And from then on, we heard nothing but that watch. I'd saw it, and thunk very little of it. It was as big as my fist, and wound up with a key, which Uncle Garfield was always losing and looking for. But it was solid gold, and he called it a hair-loom whatever them things is, and he nigh driv the family crazy. A passel of big hulks like you all, sitting around letting an old man get robbed of all his property, he would say bitterly. When I was a young buck, if my uncle had been abused that way, I'd a took the trail and never slept nor et till I brung back his watch and the scalp of the skunk which stole it. Men nowadays, and so on, and so on, till I felt like drowning the old jassic in a barrel of corn liquor. Finally, Pap says to me, combing his beard with his fingers, Breckenridge, says he, I've endured Uncle Garfield's belly aching all I aim to. I want you to go look for his cussed watch and don't come back without it. How am I gonna know where to look, I protested, aghast. The fellow which got it may be in California or Mexico by now. I realizes the difficulties, says Pap, but if Uncle Garfield knows somebody's out looking for his darn timepiece, maybe he'll give the rest of us some peace. You get going, and if you can't find that watch, 
don't come back till after Uncle Garfield has went home. How long is he going to stay? I demanded. Well, said Pat, Uncle Garfield's visits all his lasts a year at least. At this I bust into profanity. I said, I've got to stay away from home a year? Dang it, Pat. Jim Braxton'll steal Ellen Reynolds away from me whilst I'm gone. I've been courting that girl till I'm ready to fall dead. I done licked her old man three times. And now, just when I got her looking my way, you tell me I gotta up and leave her for a year for that dern Jim Braxton to have no competition with? You gotta choose between Ellen Reynolds and your own flesh and blood, said Pap. I'm darned if I'll listen to Uncle Garfield squawks any longer. You make your own choice. But if you don't choose to do what I asked you to, I'll fill your hide with buckshot every time I see you from now on. Well, the result of that was that I was presently riding morosely away from home and Ellen Reynolds, and in the general direction of where Uncle Garfield's blasted watch might possibly be. I passed by the Braxton cabin with the intention of dropping Jim a warning about his actions whilst I was gone, but he wasn't there, so I issued a general defiance to the family by slinging a forty-five slug through the window, which knocked a cob pipe out of old man Braxton's mouth. That soothed me a little, but I knowed very well that Jim would make a bee-line for the Reynolds cabin the second I was out of sight. I could just see him gorging on Ellen's bear meat and honey and bragging on himself. I hoped Ellen would notice the difference between a loud-mouthed boaster like him and a quiet, modest young man like me, which never bragged, though admittedly the biggest man and the best fighter in the Humboldts. I hoped to meet Jim somewhere in the woods as I rode down the trail, for I was intending to do something to kind of impede his courting while I was gone, like breaking his leg or something, but luck wasn't with me. I headed in the general direction of Chaudier, and the next day seen me riding in gloomy grandeur through a country quite distant from Ellen Reynolds. Pap always said my curiosity would be at the ruination of me some day, but I never could listen to guns popping up in the mountains without wanting to find out who was killing who. So that morning, when I heard the rifles talking off amongst the trees, I turned Captain Kidd aside and left the trail and rode in the direction of the noise. A dim path wound up through the big boulders and bushes, and the shooting kept getting louder. Pretty soon I come out into a glade, and just as I did, bam! Somebody let go at me from the bushes, and a forty-five seventy slug cut both my bridle reins nearly in half. I instantly returned the shot with my forty-five, getting just a glimpse of something in the brush, and a man let out a squall and jumped out into the open, wringing his hands. My bullet had hit the lock of his Winchester, and mighty nigh jarred his hands off him. Cease that ungodly noise, I said sternly, pointing my forty-five at his bay winder. 
and tell me how come you waylays innocent travelers. He quit working his fingers, moaning, and said, I thought you was Joel Carn, the outlaw. You're about his size. Well, I ain't, I said. I'm Breckenridge Elkins from the Humboldts. I was just riding over to learn what all the shooting was about. The guns was firing in the trees behind the fella, and someone yelled what was the matter. Ain't nothing the matter, he hollered back, just a misunderstanding. And he said to me, I'm glad to see you, Elkins. We need a man like you. I'm Sheriff Dick Hopkins from Grizzly Run. Where at's your star, I inquired. I lost it in the brush, he said. Me and my deputies have been chasing Tarantula Bixby and his gang for a day and a night, and we got em cornered over there in the old deserted cabin in the holler. The boys is shooting at em now. I heard you coming up the trail and snuck over to see who it is. Just as I said, I thought you was kind. Come on with me, and you can help us. I ain't no deputy, I said. I got nothing against Tarantula Bixby. Well... You want to uphold the law, don't you? He said. Nah, I said. Well, gee whiz, he wailed. If you ain't a hell of a citizen, the country's going to the dogs. What chance has an honest man got? Oh, shut up, I said. I'll go over and see the fun anyhow. So he picked up his gun. I tied Captain Kidd and followed the sheriff through the trees till we come to some rocks and there was four men laying behind them rocks and shooting down into a holler. The hill sloped away mighty steep into a small basin that was just like a bowl, with a rim of slopes all around. In the middle of this bowl was a cabin, and puffs of smoke was coming from the cracks between the logs. The men behind the rocks looked at me in surprise, and one of them said, What the hell? But the sheriff scowled at him and said, Boys, this here's Breck Elkins. I done told him already about us being a posse from Grizzly Run and about how we got Tarantula Bixby and two of his cutthroats trapped in that there cabin. One of the deputies bust into a guffaw and Hopkins glared at him and said, What you laughing about, you spotted hyena? I swallowed my tobacker, and that always gives me the hystericals, mumbled the deputy, looking the other way. Hold up your right hand, Elkins, requested Hopkins, so I done so, wondering what for, and he said, Does you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, e pluribus unum anno dominecker to wit in status quo? What the hell are you talking about, I demanded. Them which God has jined asunder, let no man put together, said Hopkins. Whatever you say will be used against you, and the Lord have mercy on your soul. That means you're a deputy. I just swore you in. Go sit on a tack, I said disgustedly. Go catch your own thieves. And don't look at me like that. I might bend a gun over your skull. But Elkins, pleaded Hopkins, with your help we can catch them rats easy. All you got to do is lay up here behind this big rock and shoot at the cabin and keep em occupied till we can sneak round and rush em from the rear. See, the brush comes down pretty close at the foot of the slope on the other side and gives us cover. We can do it easy with someone keeping their attention over here. I'll give you part of the reward. 
I don't want no dern blood money, I said, backing away. And besides, ow! I'd absent-mindedly backed out from behind the big rock where I'd been standing, and a thirty-thirty slug burned its way across the seat of my breeches. Dern them murderers, I bellered, seeing red. Give me a rifle. I'll learn em to shoot a man behind his back. Go on, take em in the rear. I'll keep em busy. Good boy, said Hopkins. You'll get plenty for this. It sounded like somebody was snickering to themselves as they snuck away, but I give no heed. I squinted cautiously around the big boulder and began sniping at the cabin. All I could see to shoot at was the puffs of smoke which marked the cracks they was shooting through. But from the cussing and yelling which begun to float up from the shack, I must have throwed some lead mighty close to them. They kept shooting back, and the bullets splashed and buzzed on the rocks, and I kept looking at the further slope for some sign of Sheriff Hopkins and the posse. But all I heard was a sound of horses galloping away toward the west. I wondered who it could be, and I kept expecting the posse to rush down the opposite slope and take them desperados in the rear. And whilst I was craning my neck around the corner of the boulder, whang! A bullet smashed into the rock a few inches from my face, and a sliver of stone took a notch out of my ear. I don't know of nothing that makes me madder than to get shot in the ear. I seen red and didn't even shoot back. A mere rifle was too paltry to satisfy me. Suddenly I realized that the big boulder in front of me was just poised on the slope, its underside partly embedded in the earth. I throwed down my rifle and bent my knees and spread my arms and gripped. I shook the sweat and blood out of my eyes and bellered so them in the holler could hear me. I'm giving you all a chance to surrender. Come out, your hands up. They gave loud and sarcastic jeers, and I yelled back, All right, you ring-tailed jackasses, if you get squished like a pancake, it's your own fault. Here she comes. And I heaved with all I had. The veins stood out on my temples, my feet sunk into the ground, but the earth bulged and cracked all around the big rock. Rivulets of dirt begun to trickle down, and the big boulder groaned, gave way, and lurched over. A dumbfounded yell riz from the cabin. I leapt behind a bush, but the outlaws was too surprised to shoot at me. That enormous boulder was tumbling down the hill, crushing bushes flat and gathering speed as it rolled, and the cabin was right in its path. Wild yells bust the air, the door was thrown violently open, and a man hove into view. Just as he started out of the door I let Bam at him, and he howled and ducked back, just like anybody will, when a forty-five ninety slug knocks their hat off. The next instant that thundering boulder hit the cabin. Smash! It knocked it sidewise like a tin pin and caved in the wall. The whole structure collapsed in a cloud of dust and bark and splinters. I run down the slope, and from the yells which issued from under the ruins, I knowed they hadn't all been killed. Does you all surrender? I roared. Yeah, darn it, they squalled. Get us out from under this landslide. 
Throw out your guns, I ordered. How in hell can we throw anything, they hollered wrathfully. We're pinned down by a ton of rocks and boards, and we're being squoze to death. Help! Murder! Ah, shut up, I said. You don't hear me carrying on in no such hysterical way, does you? Well, they moaned and complained, and I sought to work dragging the ruins off them, which wasn't no great task. Pretty soon I seen a booted leg, and I laid hold of it and dragged out the critter it was fastened to, and he looked more done up than what my brother Bill did that time he wrestled a mountain lion for a bet. I took his pistol out of his belt, laid him down on the ground, and got the others out. There was three altogether, and I disarmed them and laid them out in a row. Their clothes was nearly tore off, and they was bruised and scratched, and had splinters in their hair. But they wasn't hurt permanent. They sought up and fell to theirselves, and one of them said, This here's the first earthquake I ever seen in this country. Twer't no earthquake, said another. It was an avalanche. Listen here, Joe Partland, said the first one, grinding his teeth. I says it was an earthquake, and I ain't the man to be called a liar. Oh, you ain't, said the other, bristling up. Well, let me tell you something, Frank Jackson. This ain't no time for such arguments, I admonished them sternly. As for that there rock, I rolled that at you myself. They gaped at me. Who are you? said one of them mopping the blood off of his ear. Never mind, I said. You see this here Winchester? Well, you all set still and rest yourselves. Soon as the sheriff gets here, I'm going to hand you over to him. His mouth fell open. Sheriff, he said dumb-like. What sheriff? Dick Hopkins from Grizzly Run, I said. Why, you darn fool, he screamed, scrambling up. Sit down, I roared, and shoved my rifle barrel at him. He sank back, all white and shaking. He could hardly talk. Listen to me, he gasped. I'm Dick Hopkins. I'm Sheriff of Grizzly Run. These men are my deputies. Yeah, I said sarcastically. And who was the fellow shooting at you from the brush? Tarantula Bixby and his gang, he said. We was follerin' em when they jumped us, and being outnumbered and surprised, we took cover in that old hut. They robbed the Grizzly Run Bank day before yesterday, and now they'll be getting further away every minute. Oh, Judas J. Iscariot, of all the dumb, bone-headed jackasses! He, 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 I said cynically. You must think I ain't got no sense. If you're the sheriff, whereat's your star? It was on my suspenders, he said despairingly. When you hauled me out by the leg, my suspenders caught on something and tore off. If you'll let me look amongst them ruins, you sit still, I commanded. You can't fool me. You're Tranchler Bixby yourself. Sheriff Hopkins told me so. Him and the posse will be here in a little while. Set still and shut up. We stayed there, and the feller which claimed to be the sheriff moaned and pulled his hair and shed a few tears, and the other fellers tried to convince me they was deputies until I got tired of their gab and told them to shut up or I'd bend my Winchester over their heads. I wondered why Hopkins and them didn't come, 
and I begun to get nervous, and all at once the fellow which said he was the sheriff gave a yell that startled me so I jumped and nearly shot him. He had something in his hand and was waving it around. See here? His voice cracked. He hollered so loud. I found it. It must have fell down in my shirt when my suspenders busted. Look at that, you darn mountain grizzly. I looked, and my flesh crawled. It was a shiny silver star. Hopkins said he lost his'n, I said weakly. Maybe you found it in the brush. You know better, he bellered. You're one of Bixby's men. You was sent to hold us here while Tarantula and the rest made their getaway. You'll get ninety years for this. I turned cold all over as I remembered them horses I heard galloping. I'd been fooled. This was the sheriff. That pot-bellied thug which shot at me had been Bixby hisself, and whilst I held up the real sheriff and his posse, them outlaws was riding out of the country. Now wasn't that a caution? You better give me that gun and surrender, opined Hopkins. Maybe if you do, they won't hang you. Set still, I snarled. I'm the biggest sap that ever straddled a mustang, but even saps has their feelings. You ain't going to put me behind no bars. I'm going up this slope, but I'll be watching you. I've throwed your guns over in the brush. If any of you makes a move toward em, I'll put a harp in his hand. Nobody craved a harp. They set up a chant of hate as I backed away, but they sat still. I went up the slope backwards till I hit the rim. Then I turned and ducked into the brush and run. I heard em cussin' something awful down in the holler, but I didn't pause. I come to where I'd left Cap'n Kid and forked him and rode, thankful them outlaws had been in too big a hurry to steal him. I throwed away the rifle they give me and headed west. I aimed to cross Wild River at Ghost Canyon and head into the uninhabited mountain region beyond there. I figured I could dodge a posse indefinite once I got there. I pushed Captain Kidd hard, cussing my reins which had been notched by Bixby's bullet. I didn't have time to fix them, and Captain Kidd was an iron-jawed outlaw. He was sweating plenty when I finally hove in sight of the place I was heading for. As I topped the canyon's crest before I dipped down to the crossing, I glanced back. There was a high notch in the hills, a mile or so behind me. As I looked, three horsemen was etched in that notch against the sky behind them. I cussed fervently. Why hadn't I had sense enough to know Hopkins and his men was bound to have horses tied somewheres near? They got their mounts and followed me, figuring I'd aim for the country beyond the wild river. It was about the only place I could go. Not wantin' no runnin' fight with no sheriff's posse, I raced recklessly down the sloping canyon wall, busted out of the bushes, and stopped short. Wild River was on the rampage, bank full in the narrow channel, and boilin' and foamin'. Been a big rain somewhere away up on the head, and the horse wasn't never foaled which could swamp it. It wasn't but one thing to do, and I done it. I wheeled Captain Kidd and headed up the canyon. Five miles up the river, there was another crossing, with a bridge, if it hadn't been washed away. Captain Kidd had his second wind, and we was going lickety-split when suddenly I heard a noise ahead of us, 
above the roar of the river and the thunder of his hoofs on the rocky canyon floor. We was approaching a bend in the gorge when a low ridge run out from the canyon wall, and beyond that ridge I heard guns banging. I heaved back on the reins, and both of them snapped in two. Captain Kidd instantly clamped his teeth on the bit and bolted, like he always done, when anything out of the ordinary happened. He headed straight for the bushes at the end of the ridge, and I leaned forward and tried to get hold of the bit rings with my fingers, but all I done was swerving from his course. Instead of following the canyon bed on around the end of the ridge, he went right over the rise, which sloped on that side. It didn't slope on the other side. It fell away abruptly. I had a fleeting glimpse of five men crouching among the bushes on the canyon floor with guns in their hands. They looked up, and Captain Kidd braced his legs and slid to a halt at the lip of the low bluff, and simultaneously bogged his head and throwed me head over heels down amongst them. My boot heel landed on somebody's head, and the spur knocked him cold and blame near scalped him. That partially busted my fall, and it was further cushioned by another fellow which I landed on in a sitting position, and which took no further interest in the proceedings. The other three fell on me with loud, brutal yells, and I reached for my forty-five and found to my humiliation that it had fell out of my scabbard when I was throwed. So I riz with a rock in my hand and bounced it off of the head of a fellow who was fixing to shoot me, and he dropped his pistol and fell on top of it. At this juncture, one of the survivors put a buffalo gun to his shoulder and sighted, then, evidently fearing he'd hit his companion, which was carving at me on the other side with a bowie knife, he reversed it and run in, swinging it like a club. The man with the knife got in a slash across my ribs, and I then hit him on the chin, which was how his jawbone got broken four places. Meanwhile, the other swung at me with his rifle, but missed my head and broke the stock off across my shoulder. Irritated at his persistency in trying to brain me with the barrel, I laid hands on him and throwed him head-on against the bluff, which is when he got his fractured skull and concussion of the brain, I reckon. I then shook the sweat from my eyes, and glaring down, recognized the remains as Bixby and his gang. I might a knew they'd head for the wild country across the river, same as me, only place they could go. Just then, however, a clump of bushes parted near a river bank, and a big black-bearded man riz up from behind a dead horse. He had a six-shooter in his hand, and he approached me cautiously. "'Who are you?' he demanded. "'Where'd you come from?' "'I'm Breckenridge Elkins,' I answered, mopping the blood off of my shirt. "'What is this here business, anyway?' I was settin' here peaceable, waitin' for the river to go down so I could cross, he said, when up rode these yeggs and started shootin'. I'm an honest citizen. You're a liar, I said with my usual diplomacy. You're Joel Carn, the worst outlaw in the hills. I seen your picture in the post office at Chaudier. With that he pinted his forty-five at me and his beard bristled like the whiskers of an old timber wolf. "'So you know me, eh?' he said. "'Well, what are you going to do about it, eh?' 
Want to collect the reward money, eh? Nah, I don't, I said. I'm an outlaw myself now. I just run foul of the law account of these skunks. They's a posse right behind me. They is, he snarled. Why didn't you say so? Here, let's catch these fellows' horses and light out. Cheapskates. They claimed I double-crossed them in the matter of a stagecoach hold-up we pulled together recently. I've been avoiding them because I'm a peaceful man by nature, but they rode on to me unexpected today. They shot my horse first crack. We've been trading lead for more than an hour without doing much damage, but they'd have got me eventually, I reckon. Come on, we'll pull out together. No, we won't, I said. I'm an outlaw by force of circumstances, but I ain't no murderin' bandit. Pretty particular your company, ain't you? he sneered. Well, anyways, help me catch a horse. Yours is still up there on that bluff. The day's still young. He pulled out a big gold watch and looked at it. It was one which wound with a key. I jumped like I was shot. Where'd you get that watch? I hollered. He jerked up his head, kind of startled, and said, My grandpap give me it. Why? You're a liar, I bellered. You took that off of my Uncle Garfield. Give me that watch. Are you crazy, he yelled, going white under his whiskers. I plunged for him, seeing red, and he let go. Bang! I got it in the left thigh. Before he could shoot again, I was on top of him and knocked the gun up. It banged, but the bullet went singing up over the bluff, and Captain Kidd squealed and started changing ends. The pistol flew out of Kyron's hand, and he hit me violently on the nose, which made me see stars. So I hit him in the belly, and he grunted and doubled up, and come up with a knife out of his boot, which he cut me across the bosom with, and also in the shoulder and arm, and kicked me in the groin. So I swung him clear of the ground, and throwed him head first, and jumped on him with both feet. And that settled him. I picked up the watch where it had fell and staggered over to the cliff, spurting blood at every step like a stuck hog. At last my search is at an end, I panted. I can go back to Ellen Reynolds, who patiently awaits the return of her hero. It was at this instant that Captain Kidd, which had been stung by Kyrne's wild shot and was trying to buck off his saddle, bucked himself off the bluff. He fell on me. The first thing I heard was bells ringing. Then they turned to horses galloping. I sat up and wiped off the blood which was running into my eyes from where Captain Kidd's left hind hoof had split my scalp. Then I seen Sheriff Hopkins, Jackson, and Partland come tearing around the ridge. I tried to get up and run, but my right leg wouldn't work. I reached for my gun, and it still wasn't there. I was trapped. Look there, yelled Hopkins, wild-eyed. That's Bixby on the ground, and all his gang. And ye gods, there's Joel Cairn. What is this, anyhow? It looks like a battlefield. And what's that sitting there? He's so bloody, I can't recognize him. It's the hill, Billy, yelped Jackson. Don't move or I'll shoot you. I already been shot, I snarled. Go on, do your worst. Fate is against me. They dismounted and stared in awe. Count the dead, boys, said Hopkins in a still small voice. 
Ah, said Parlin, ain't none of them dead, but they'll never be the same men again. Look, Bixby's coming too. Who done this, Bixby? Bixby cast a wabbly eye about till he spied me, then he moaned and shriveled up. He done it, he wailed. He trailed us down like a bloodhound and jumped on us from behind. He tried to scalp me. He ain't human. And he bust into tears. They looked at me and all took off their hats. Elkins, said Hopkins in a tone of reverence, I see it all now. They fooled you into thinking they was the posse and us the outlaws, didn't they? And when you realized the truth, you hunted them down, didn't you? And cleaned them out single-handed. And Joel Carn too, didn't you? Well, I said groggily, the truth is... We understand, Hopkins soothed. You mountain men are all modest. Hey, boys, tie up them outlaws whilst I look at Elkins' wounds. If you'll catch my horse, I said, I gotta be riding back. Gee whiz, man, he said, you ain't in no shape to ride a horse. Do you know you got four busted ribs, a broke arm, one leg broke, and a bullet in the other, to say nothing of being slashed to ribbons? We'll rig up a litter for you. What's that you got in your good hand? I suddenly remembered Uncle Garfield's watch, which I'd kept clutched in a death grip. I stared at what I held in my hand, and I fell back with a low moan. All I had in my hand was a bunch of busted metal, broken wheels and springs, bent and smashed plumb beyond recognition. Grab him, yelled Hopkins. He's fainted. Plant me under a pine tree, boys, I murmured weakly. Just carve on my tombstone. He fit a good fight, but fate dealt him the joker. A few days later, a melancholy procession wound its way up the trail into the Humboldts. I was packed on a litter. I told them I wanted to see Ellen Reynolds before I died, and to show Uncle Garfield the ruins of the watch, so he'd knowed I'd done my duty as I seen it. As we approached the locality where my home cabin stood, who should meet us but Jim Braxton, which tried to conceal his pleasure when I told him in a weak voice that I was a dying man. He was all dressed up in new buckskins, and his exuberance was plumb disgustful to a man in my conditions. Too bad, he said. Too bad, Breckenridge. I hope to meet you, but not like this, of course. Your pap told me to tell you if I seen you about your Uncle Garfield's watch. He thought I might run into you on my way to Chawed Ear to get a license. Eh? I said, pricking up my ears. Yeah, me and Ellen Reynolds is going to get married. Well, as I started to say, seems like one of them bandits which robbed the stage was a fella whose dad was a friend of your Uncle Garfield's back in Texas. He recognized the name on the watch and sent it back, and it got here the day after you left. They say it was jealousy which made me rise up on my litter and fracture Jim Braxton's jawbone. I denies that. I stoops to no such petty practices. What impelled me was family conventions. I couldn't hit Uncle Garfield. I had to hit somebody and Jim Braxton just happened to be the nearest one to me. End of Guns of the Mountains
The Scalp Hunter by Robert Howard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Scalp Hunter by Robert Howard. The reason I am given the full facts of this here affair is to refute a lot of rumors which is circulating about me. I am sick and tired of these lies about me terrorizing the town of Grizzly Claw and ruining their wagon yard just for spite and trying to murder all their leading citizens. They is more than one side to anything. These folks which is going around telling about me knocking the mayor of Grizzly Claw down a flight of steps with a kitchen stove ain't yet added that the mayor was trying to blast me with a sawed-off shotgun. As for saying that all I'd done was with malice aforethought, why, if I was a hot-headed man like some I know, I could easily lose my temper over this here slander. But being shy and retiring by nature, I keeps my dignity, and merely remarks that these gossipers is blamed liars, and I will kick the ears off of them if I catch em. I weren't even going to Grizzly Claw in the first place. I'm kind of particular where I go to. I'd been in the settlements along Wild River for several weeks, tending to my own business, and I was headed for Pistol Mountain when I seen Tunk Willoughby sitting on a log at the Forks where the trail to Grizzly Claw splits off of the Pistol Mountain Road. Tunk ain't got no more sense than the law allows, anyway, and now he looked plumb discouraged. He had a mangled ear, a couple of black eyes, and a lump on his head so big his hat wouldn't fit. From time to time he spit out a tooth. I pulled up Captain Kidd and said, What kind of brawl have you been into? I've been to Grizzly Claw, he said, just like that explained it. But I didn't get the drift, because I hadn't never been to Grizzly Claw. That's the meanest town in these mountains, he said. They ain't got no real law there but they got a feller which claims to be an officer, and if you so much as spit, he says you bust the law and has got to pay a fine. If you puts up a holler, the citizens come to his assistance. You see what happened to me. I never found out just what law I was supposed to broke, Tunk said, but it must have been one they was particular fond of. I give em a good fight as long as they confine themselves to rocks and gun-butts, but when they introduced fence-rails and wagon-tongues into the fray, I give up the ghost. Well, what you go there for, anyhow? I demanded. Well, he said, mopping off some dried blood, I was looking for you. Three or four days ago I was in the vicinity of Bear Creek, and your cousin, Jack Gordon, told me something to tell you. Him showing no sign of going on, I said, Well, what was it? I can't remember, he said. That lamin they give me in Grizzly Claw has plumb addled my brains. Jack told me to tell you to keep a sharp lookout for somebody, but I can't remember who or why. But somebody had did something awful to somebody on Bear Creek, 
seems like it was your Uncle Jefford Grimes. But why did you go to Grizzly Claw, I demanded. I weren't there. I don't know, he said. Seems like the feller which Jack wanted you to get was from Grizzly Claw, or supposed to go there, or something. A great help you be, I said in disgust. Here somebody has went and wronged one of my kinfolks, maybe, and you forgets the details. Try to remember the name of the feller, anyway. If I knew who he was, I could lay him out and then find out what he did later on. Think, can't you? Did you ever have a wagon tongue busted over your head? He said. I tell you, it's just right recent that I remembered my own name. It was all I could do to recognize you just now. If you'll come back in a couple of days, maybe by then I'll remember what all Jack told me. I give a snort of disgust and turned off the road and headed up the trail for Grizzly Claw. I thought maybe I could learn something there. If somebody had done dirt to Uncle Jefford, I wanted to know it. Us Bear Creek folks may fight amongst ourselves, but we stands for no stranger to impose on any one of us. Uncle Jefford was about as old as the Humboldt Mountains, and he'd fit Indians for a living in his younger days. He was still a tough old knot. Anybody that could do him a wrong and get away with it sure wasn't no ordinary man, so it wasn't no wonder that word had been sent out for me to get on his trail. And now I hadn't no idea who to look for, or why, just because of Tunk Willoughby's weak skull. I despise these here egg-headed weaklings. Well, I arrove in Grizzly Claw late in the afternoon, and went first to the wagon yard, and seen the captain kid was put in a good stall and fed proper, and warned the fellow there to keep away from him if he didn't want his brains kicked out. Captain Kidd has a disposition like a shark, and he don't like strangers. It weren't much of a wagon yard, and there was only five other horses there besides me and Captain Kidd, a pinto, bay, and piebald, and a couple of pack horses. I then went back into the business part of the village, which was one dusty street with stores and saloons on each side, and I didn't pay much attention to the town because I was trying to figure out how I could go about trying to find out what I wanted to know, and couldn't think of no questions to ask nobody about nothing. Well, I was approaching a saloon called the Apache Queen, and was looking at the ground in meditation when I seen a silver dollar laying in the dust close to a hitching rack. I immediately stooped down and picked it up, not noticing how close it was to the hind legs of a mean-looking mule. When I stooped over, he hauled off and kicked me in the head. Then he let out an awful bray and commenced jumping around, holding up his hind hoof. And some men come running out of the saloon, and one of them hollered, He's trying to kill my mule. Call the law. Quite a crowd gathered, and the fellow which owned the mule hollered like a catamount. He was a mean-looking cuss with mournful whiskers and a cock-eye. He yelled like somebody was stabbing him, and I couldn't get in a word edgewise. 
Then a feller with a long skinny neck and two guns come up and said, I'm the sheriff. What's going on here? Who's this big feller? What's he done? The whiskered cuss hollered, He kicked hisself in the head with my mule and crippled the poor critter for life. I demands my rights. He's got to pay me three hundred and fifty dollars for my mule. Aw, oh, I said, that mule ain't hurt none. His leg's just kind of numbed. Anyway, I ain't got but five bucks, and whoever gets them will take em off of my dead body. I then hitched my six guns forwards, and the crowd kind of fell away. I demand that you rest him, howled Drooping Whiskers. He tried to assassinate my mule. You ain't got no star, I told the fellow, which said he was the law. You ain't going to arrest me. Does you dast resist arrest? he said, fidgeting with his belt. Who said anything about resistin' arrest? I retorted. All I aim to do is see how far your neck'll stretch before it breaks. Don't you dast lay hands on an officer of the law, he squawked, backing away in a hurry. I was tired of talkin' and thirsty, so I merely give a snort and turned away through the crowd towards the saloon, pushing em right and left out em away. I saw em gang up in the street, talking low and mean, but I give no heed. There wasn't nobody in the saloon except the barman and a gangling cow-puncher, which had draped itself over the bar. I ordered whiskey, and when I'd drunk a few fingers of the rottenest muck I believe I ever tasted, I give it up in disgust and throwed the dollar on the bar which I had found, and was starting out when the barkeeper hollered, Hey! I turned around and said courteously, Don't you yell at me like that, you bat-eared buzzard. What do you want? This here dollar ain't no good, he said, banging it on the bar. Well, neither is your whiskey, I snarled, because I was getting mad. So that makes us even. I'm a long-suffering man, but it looked like everybody in Grizzly Claw was out to jip the stranger in their midst. You can't run no blazer over me, he hollered. You give me a real dollar, or else... He ducked down behind the bar and come up with a shotgun. So I'd taken it away from him and bent the barrel double across my knee and throwed it after him as he run out the back door, hollering, help, murder. The cowpuncher had picked up the dollar and bit on it, and then he looked at me very sharp and said, Where did you get this? I found it if it's any of your dern business, I snapped, because I was mad. Saying no more, I strode out the door, and the minute I hit the street, somebody let bam at me from behind a rain barrel across the street and shot my hat off. So I slammed a bullet back through the barrel, and the feller hollered and fell out in the open, yelling blue murder. It was the feller who called hisself the sheriff, and he was drilled through the hind leg. I noticed a lot of heads sticking up over window sills and around doors, so I roared, Let that be a warning to you grizzly claw coyotes. I'm Breckenridge Elkins from Bear Creek up in the Humboldts, and I shoot better in my sleep than most men does wide awake. I then lent emphasis to my remarks by punctuating a few signboards and knocking out a few window panes, and everybody hollered and ducked. 
so I shoved my guns back in their scabbards and went into a restaurant. The citizens come out of their hiding places and carried off my victim, and he made more noise over a broke leg than I thought was possible for a grown man. There was some folks in the restaurant, but they stampeded out the back door as I come in at the front, all except the cook, which tried to take refuge somewhere else. Come out of there and fry me some bacon, I commanded, kicking a few slats out of the counter to add point to my request. It disgusts me to see a grown man trying to hide under a stove. I'm a very patient and good-natured human, but Grizzly Claw was getting under my hide. So the cook come out and fried me a mess of bacon and ham and eggs and potatoes and sourdough bread and beans and coffee, and I ate three cans of clean peaches. Nobody come into the restaurant whilst I was eating, but I thought I heard somebody sneaking around outside. When I got through, I asked the feller how much, and he told me, so I planked down the cash, and he commenced to bite it. This lack of faith in his feller humans enraged me, so I drawed my bowie knife and said, They is a limit to any man's patience. I've been insulted once tonight, and that's enough. You just dast say that coin's phony, and I'll slice off your whiskers, plumb at the roots. I brandished my buoy under his nose, and he hollered and stampeded back into the stove and upsot it and fell over it, and the coals went down the back of his shirt, so he riz up and run for the creek yelling bloody murder, and that's how the story started that I tried to burn a cook alive, Indian style, because he fried my bacon too crisp. Matter of fact, I kept his shack from catching fire and burning down, cause I stopped out the coals before they did more than burn a big hole through the floor, and I throwed the stove out the back door. It ain't my fault if the mayor of Grizzly Claw was sneaking up the back steps with a shotgun just at that moment. Anyway, I hear he was able to walk with a couple of crutches after a few months. I emerged suddenly from the front door, hearing a suspicious noise, and I seen a feller crouching close to a side window, peeking through a hole in the wall. It was the cowboy I seen in the Apache Queen's saloon. He whirled when I come out, but I had him covered. "'Are you spying on me?' I demanded. "'Cause if you are—' "'No, no,' he said in a hurry. "'I was just leaning up against that wall, resting.' You grizzly claw folks is all crazy, I said disgustedly, and looked around to see if anybody else tried to shoot me. But there weren't nobody in sight, which was suspicious, but I give no heed. It was dark by that time, so I went to the wagon yard, and there wasn't nobody there. I guess the man which run it was off somewheres drunk, because that seemed to be the main occupation of most of them grizzly claw devils. The only place for folks to sleep was a kind of double log cabin. That is, it had two rooms, but there weren't no door between them, and in each room there wasn't nothing but a fireplace and a bunk, and just one outer door. I seen Captain Kidd was fixed for the night, then I went into the cabin and brought in my saddle and bridle and saddle blanket, because I didn't trust the folks thereabouts. I took off my boots and hat and hung them on the wall, and and hung my guns and buoy on the end of the bunk, and then spread my saddle blanket on the bunk, 
and lay down glumly. I don't know why they don't build them darn things for ordinary-sized humans. A man six and a half foot tall like me can't never find one comfortable for him. I laid there and was disgusted at the bunk, and at myself, too, because I hadn't accomplished nothing. I hadn't learnt who it was, done something to Uncle Jeppard, or what he'd done. It looked like I'd have to go clean to Bear Creek to find out, and that was a good four days' ride. Well, as I contemplated, I heard a man come into the wagon-yard, and pretty soon I heard him approach the cabin, but I thought nothing of it. Then the door began to open, and I riz up with a gun in each hand and said, Who's there? Make yourself knowed before I blast you down. Whoever it was mumbled some excuse about being on the wrong side, and the door closed. But the voice sounded kind of familiar, and the fellow didn't go into the other room. I heard his footsteps sneaking off, and I riz and went to the door and looked over toward the row of stalls. So pretty soon a man led the pinto out of his stall and swung aboard him and rode off. It was pretty dark, but if us folks on Bear Creek didn't have eyes like a hawk, we'd never live to get grown. I'd seen it was the cowboy I'd seen in the Apache Queen and outside the restaurant. Once he got clear of the wagon yard, he slapped in the spurs and went racing through the village like they was a red war party on his trail. I could hear the beat of his horse's hooves fading south down the rocky trail after he was out of sight. I knowed he must have followed me to the wagon yard, but I couldn't make no sense out of it. So I went and laid down on the bunk again. I was just about to go to sleep when I was woke by the sounds of somebody coming into the other room of the cabin and I heard somebody strike a match. The bunk was built against the partition wall, so they was only a few feet from me, though with a log wall between us. They was two of them, from the sounds of their talking. I tell you, one of them was saying, I don't like his looks. I don't believe he's what he pretends to be. We better take no chances and clear out. After all, we can't stay here forever. These people are beginning to get suspicious, and if they find out for sure, they'll be demanding a cut in the profits to protect us. The stuff's all packed and ready to jump at a second's notice. Let's run for it tonight. It's a wonder nobody ain't never stumbled onto that hideout before now. Aw, oh, said the other, these grisly claw yaps don't do nothing but swill liquor and gamble and think up swindles to work on such strangers as is unlucky enough to wander in here. They never go into the hills southwest of the village where our cave is. Most of them don't even know there's a path past that big rock to the west. Well, Bill, said Tothern, we've done pretty well counting that job up in the Bear Creek country. At that I was wide awake and listening with both ears. Bill laughed. That was kind of funny, weren't it, Jim, he said. You ain't never told me the particulars, said Jim. Did you have any trouble? Well, said Bill, t'warn't to say easy. That old Jeopard Grimes was a hard old nut. If all Injun fighters was like him, 
I feel plumb sorry for the engines. If any of them Bear Creek devils ever catch you, begun Jim. Bill laughed again. Them hillbillies never strays more than ten miles from Bear Creek, he said. I had the sculp and was gone before they knowed what was up. I've collected bounties for wolves and bars, but that's the first time I ever got money for a human sculp. An icy chill run down my spine. Now I knowed what had happened to poor old Uncle Jefford. Scalped! After all the Indian scalps he'd lifted, and then cold-blooded murderers could sit there and talk about it like it was the ears of a coyote or a rabbit. I told him he'd had the use of that sculp long enough, Bill was saying, an old cuss like him. I waited for no more. Everything was red around me. I didn't stop for my boots, gun, nor nothing. I was too crazy mad even to know such things existed. I riz up from that bunk and put my head down and rammed that partition wall like a bull going through a rail fence. The dried mud poured out of the chinks and some of the logs give way, and a howl went up from the other side. What's that? hollered one. The other yelled, Look out! It's a bar! I drawed back and rammed the wall again. Caved inwards, and I come headlong through it in a shower of dry mud and splinters, and somebody shot at me and missed. They was a lighted lantern settin' on a hand-hewn table, and two men about six foot tall each that hollered and let bam at me with their six-shooters, but they was too dumbfounded to shoot straight. I gathered em to my bosom, and we went backwards over the table, taking it and the lantern with us and you ought to have heard them critters howl when the burnin' aisle splashed down their necks. It was a dirt floor, so nothing caught on fire, and we was fightin' in the dark, and they was hollerin' help, murder, we are bein' assassinated, release go of my ear. Then one of em got his boot heel wedged in my mouth, and whilst I was twistin' it out with one hand, the other and tore out of his shirt, which I was gripping with t'other hand, and run out of the door. I had hold of the other feller's foot and commenced trying to twist it off, when he wrenched his leg out of the boot and took it on the run. When I started to follow him, I fell over the table in the dark and got all tangled up in it. I broke off a leg for a club and rushed to the door, and just as I got to it, a whole mob of folks come surging into the wagon-yard with torches and guns and dogs and a rope, and they hollered, There he is, the murderer, the outlaw, the counterfeiter, the house-burner, the mule-killer. I seen the man that owned the mule and the restaurant feller and the barkeeper and a lot of others. They come roaring and bellering up to the door, hollering, Hang him, hang him, string the murderer up and they begun shooting at me. So I fell amongst them with my table leg and laid right and left till it busted. They was packed so close together I laid out three and four at a lick, and they hollered something awful. The torches was all knocked down and trampled out except for them which was held by fellers which danced around on the edge of the mill, hollering, Lay hold on him. Don't be scared of the big hill, Billy. Shoot him. 
knock him in the head. The dogs, having more sense than the men, they all run off except one big mongrel that looked like a wolf, and he bit the mob oftener than he did me. There was a lot of wild shooting and men hollering, Oh, I'm shot! I'm killed! I'm dying! And some of them bullets burnt my hide they come so close, and the flashes singed my eyelashes, and somebody broke a knife against my belt buckle. Then I seen the torches was all gone except one, and my club was broke, so I bust right through the mob, swinging right and left with my fists and stomping on them that tried to drag me down. I got clear of everybody except the man with the torch, who was so excited he was jumping up and down trying to shoot me without cocking his gun. That blamed dog was snapping at my heels, so I swung him by the tail and hit the man over the head with him. They went down in a heap, and the torch went out, and the dog clamped on the feller's ear, and he let out a squall like a steam whistle. They was milling in the dark behind me, and I run straight to Captain Kidd's stall and jumped on him bareback with nothing but a hackamore on him. Just as the mob located where I went, we come storming out of the stall like a hurricane and knocked some of them galley west and run over some more and headed for the gate. Somebody shut the gate, but Captain Kidd took it in his stride, and we was gone into the darkness before they knowed what hit em. Captain Kidd decided then was a good time to run away, like he usually does, so he took to the hills and run through bushes and clumps of trees trying to scrape me off on the branches. When I finally pulled him up, he was maybe a mile south of the village, with Captain Kidd no bridle nor saddle nor blanket, and me with no guns, knife, boots, or hat. And what was worse, them devils which scalped Uncle Jefford had got away from me and I didn't know where to look for em. I sat meditating whether to go back and fight the whole town a grizzly claw for my boots and guns, or what to do, when all at once I remembered what Bill and Jim had said about a cave and a path running to it. I thought, I bet them fellows'll go back and get their horses and pull out, just like they was planning, and they had stuff in the cave, so that's the place to look for em. I hope they hadn't already got the stuff, whatever it was, and gone. I knowed where that rock was, cause I'd seen it when I come into town that afternoon, a big rock that jutted up above the trees about a mile to the west of Grizzly Claw. So I started out through the brush, and before long, I seen it looming up against the stars. I made straight for it. Sure enough, there was a narrow trail winding around the base and leading off to the southwest. I followed it, and when I'd went nearly a mile, I come to a steep mountainside, all clustered with brush. When I seen that, I slipped off and led Captain Kidd up the trail and tied him back amongst the trees. Then I crope up to the cave, which was pretty well massed with bushes. I listened, but everything was dark and still, but all at once, away down the trail, I heard a burst of shots and what sounded like a lot of horses running. Then everything was still again, and I quick ducked into the cave and struck a match. There was a narrower entrance that broadened out after a few feet, and the cave runs straight like a tunnel for maybe thirty steps, about fifteen foot wide, and then it made a bend. 
After that it widened out and got to be pretty big, fifty feet wide at least, and I couldn't tell how far back into the mountain it run. To the left the wall was very broken and notched with ledges, might nylock stair steps, and when the match went out, away up above me I seen some stars, which meant there was a cleft in the wall or roof away up on the mountain somewheres. Before the match went out, I seen a lot of junk over in a corner, covered up in a tarpaulin, and when I was fixing to strike another match, I heard men coming up the trail outside. So I quick clumb up the broken wall and laid on a ledge about ten feet up and listened. From the sounds as they arrive at the cave mouth, I knowed it was two men on foot, running hard and panting loud. They rushed into the cave and made the turn, and I heard them fumbling around. Then a light flared up, and I seen a lantern being lit and hung up on a spur of rock. In the light I seen them two murderers, Bill and Jim, and they looked plumb dilapidated. Bill didn't have no shirt on, and the other one was wearing just one boot and limped. Bill didn't have no gun in his belt neither, and both was mauled and bruised and scratched too, like they'd been running through briars. Look here, said Jim, holding his head, which had a welt on it, which was likely made by my fist. I ain't certain in my mind as to just what all has happened. Somebody must a hit me with a club sometime tonight, and things is happening too fast for my addled wits. Seems like we've been fighting and running all night. Listen, was we sitting in the wagon-yard shack talking peaceable, and did a grizzly bar bust through the wall and nigh slaughter us? That's plumb correct, said Bill. Only it warn't no bar. It was some kind of human critter. Maybe a escape maniac. We ought to a stop for our horses. I warn't thinking about no horses, broke in Jim. When I found myself outside that shack, my only thought was to cover ground and I'd done my best, considering that I'd lost a boot, and that critter had nigh unhinged my hind leg. I'd lost you in the dark, so I made for the cave, knowing you'd come there eventually, and it seemed like I was forever getting through the woods, crippled like I was. I'd no more'n hit the path when you come up it on the run. Well, said Bill, as I went over the wagon-yard wall, a lot of people come whooping through the gate, and I thought they was after us. But they must have been after the feller we fought, cause as I run, I seen him laying into em right and left. After I'd got over my panic, I went back after our horses, but I run right into a gang of men on horseback, and one of em was that stern fellow which passed hisself off as a cowboy. I didn't need no more. I took out through the woods as hard as I could pelt, and they hollered, There he goes, and come hot-foot after me. And was then the fellers I shot at back down the trail? asked Jim. Yeah, said Bill. I thought I'd shooken em off, but just as I seen you on the path, I heard horses coming behind us, so I hollered to let em have it. And you did. Well, I didn't know who it was, said Jim. I tell you, my head's buzzing like a circle saw. Well, said Bill, 
We stopped them and scattered them. I don't know if you hit anybody in the dark, but they'll be mighty cautious about coming up the trail. Let's clear out. On foot, said Jim, and me with just one boot. How else, said Bill. We'll have to hoof it till we can steal us some broncs. We'll have to leave all this stuff here. We daren't go back to Grizzly Claw after our horses. I told you that dern cowboy would do to watch. He ain't no cowpoke at all. He's a plain detective. What's that? broke in Jim. Horses' hooves! exclaimed Bill, turning pale. Here, blow out that lantern. We'll climb the ledges and get up the cleft and take out over the mountain where they can't follow with horses and then... It was at that instant that I launched myself off of the ledge on top of them. I landed with all my 290 pounds square on Jim's shoulders, and when he hit the ground under me, he kind of spread out like a toad when you step on him. Bill gave a scream of astonishment, and when I riz and come for him, he tore off a hunk of rock about the size of a man's head and lammed me over the ear with it. This irritated me. So I'd taken him by the neck, and also taken away a knife which he was trying to hamstring me with, and begun sweeping the floor with his carcass. Presently I paused, and kneeling on him, I strangled him until his tongue lolled out, betwixt times hammering his head against the rocky floor. You murderin' devil, I gritted between my teeth, before I've varnished this here rock with your brains, tell me why you taken my uncle shepherd's scalp. Let up, he gurgled, being purple in the face where he weren't bloody. They was a dude traveling through the country and collecting souvenirs, and he heard about that skull and wanted it. He hired me to go get it for him. I was so shocked at that cold-bloodedness that I forgot what I was doing and choked him nigh to death before I remembered to ease up on him. Who was he? I demanded. Who is the skunk which hires old men murdered so's he can collect their scalps? My God, these eastern dudes is worse'n Apaches. Hurry up and tell me so I can finish killing you. But he was unconscious. I'd squoze him too hard. I riz up and looked round for some water or whiskey or something to bring him to so he could tell who hired him to scalp Uncle Jeppard before I twisted his head off, which was my earnest intention of doing, when someone said, Hands up! I whirled, and there at the crook of the cave stood that cowboy which had spied on me in Grizzly Claw with ten other men. They all had their Winchesters pointed at me, and the cowboy had a star on his bosom. Don't move, he said. I'm a federal detective, and I arrest you for manufacturing counterfeit money. What do you mean? I snarled, backing up to the wall. You know, he said, kicking the tarpaulin off the junk in the corner. Look here, men, all the stamps and dies he used to make phony coins and bills, all packed up, ready to light out. I've been hanging around Grizzly Claw for days, knowing that whoever was passing this stuff made his or their headquarters here somewheres. Today I spotted that dollar you give the barkeep, and I went pronto for my men, which was camped back in the hills a few miles. 
I thought you was settled in the wagon yard for the night, but it seems you give us the slip. Put the cuffs on him, men. No, you don't, I snarled, bounding back. Not till I've finished these devils on the floor. I don't know what you're talking about, but... Here's a couple of corpses, hollered one of the men. He killed a couple of fellers. One of them stooped over Bill, but he had recovered his senses, and now he riz up on his elbows and give a howl. Save me, he bellowed. I confesses. I'm a counterfeiter, and so is Jim there on the floor. We surrenders, and you gotta protect us. You're the counterfeiters, said the detective, taken aback, as it were. Why, I was following this giant. I seen him pass fake money myself. We got to the wagon yard a while after he'd run off, but we seen him duck in the woods not far from there, and we've been chasing him. He opened fire on us down the trail a while ago. That was us, said Bill. It was me you was chasing. He must have found that money if he had fake stuff. I tell you, we're the men you're after, and you gotta protect us. I demands to be put in the strongest jail in this state, which even this here devil can't bust into. And he ain't no counterfeiter, said the detective. He ain't nothing but a man-eater, said Bill. Arrest us and take us out of his reach. No, I roared, clean beside myself. They belongs to me. They scalped my uncle. Give em knives or gun or something and let us fight this out. Can't do that, said the detective. They're federal prisoners. If you got any charge against them, they'll have to be indicted in the proper form. His men hauled him up and handcuffed him and started to lead him out. Blast your souls, I raved. Do you mean to protect a couple of dirty scalpers? I'll... I started for him, and they all pinted their Winchesters at me. Keep back, said the detective. I'm grateful for you leading us to this den and laying out these criminals for us but I don't hanker after no battle in a cave with a human grizzly like you. Well, what could a feller do? If I'd had my guns, or even my knife, I'd have taken a chance with the whole eleven, officers or not. I was that crazy mad. But even I can't fight eleven forty-five nineties with my bare hands. I stood speechless with rage whilst they filed out, and then I went for Captain Kidd, in a kind of daze. I felt wasn't a horse thief. Them fellows would be put in the pen safe out of my reach, and Uncle Jeffords' scalp was unavenged. It was awful. I felt like ballin'. Time I got my horse back onto the trail, the posse with their prisoners was out of sight and hearing. I seen the only thing to do was go back to Grizzly Claw and get my outfit, and then follow the posse and try to take their prisoners away from them some way. Well, the wagon yard was dark and still. The wounded had been carried away to have their injuries bandaged, and from the groaning that was still coming from the shacks and cabins along the streets, the casualties had been plenteous. The citizens of Grizzly Claw must have been shook up something terrible, because they hadn't even stole my guns and saddle and things yet. Everything was in the cabin, just like I'd left them. I put on my boots, hat, and belt, saddled and bridled Captain Kidd, and sought out on the road I knowed the posse had taken. But they had a long start on me, 
and when daylight come I hadn't overtook em. But I did meet somebody else. It was Tunk Willoughby, riding up the trail, and when he seen me, he grinned all over his battered features. Hey, Breck, he said. After you left, I sought on that log and thunk and thunk, and I finally remembered what Jack Gordon told me, and I started out to find you again and tell you. It was this. He said to keep a close lookout for a feller from Grizzly Claw named Bill Jackson, which had gypped your Uncle Jeopard in a deal. What? I said. Yeah, said Tunk. He bought something from Jeopard and paid him in counterfeit money. Jeopard didn't know it was phony till after the fella had plumb got away, said Tunk. And being as he was too busy drying some bar meat to go after him, he sent word for you to get him. But the scalp, I said wildly. Oh, said Tunk, that was what Jeopard sold the fella. It was the scalp Jeopard took off a old yeller eagle, the Comanche war chief, forty years ago, and been keepin' for a souvenir. Seems like an eastern dude heard about it and wanted to buy it. But this Jackson must have kept the money he give him to get it with and give Jeopard phony cash. So you see, everything's all right, even if I did forget a little and no harm did. And that's why Tunk Willoughby is going around saying I am a homicidal maniac and running five miles down a mountain and tried to kill him, which is an exaggeration, of course. I wouldn't have killed him if I could have caught him. I would have merely raised a few knots on his head and tied his hind legs in a bow knot around his fool neck and done a few other little things that might have improved his memory. End of the Scalp Hunter Nice buns. Soft, fluffy, and ultra-low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra-low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.